Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Today, we bring you one of our special quarterly shows on transit innovations. Our guest today is Lila Francis, who's chairman of Keolis Downer and president of their work in the Middle East and Hyderabad. She's a consummate leader and gives us an in-depth look inside this major provider of transit services and infrastructure. We talk mobility innovations, Hyperloop, which we haven't really discussed much on these programs, and what's happening in faraway places like India and the Middle East when it comes to public transport. We'll see how they're innovating there and around the world on this special edition of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort, your host of Transit Unplugged, and we're excited today to be in the UITP International Congress in Stockholm, Sweden. And we're excited today to have Lila Francis, chair of Keolis Downer with us. And Lila, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what you do. You have a very big role. So some people who know me well know I used to be a school teacher, which sometimes explains some of the traits you see on me. But I've been in public transport for 20 years now. And I've worked both in operational roles as well as commercial positions. Started out in the UK, in the UK rail industry. After about 10 years, started working internationally and essentially worked my way through a number of different jobs, including some exciting ones as being a duty station manager at Gatwick Airport Station, which was my first position in the UK in the rail industry, and worked myself into the position that I'm in now. Wow, that's Mm. great. And what do you do now? What is your job? So right now, I... um, Essentially, there's three main components to the role that I have. The first is to chair our organisation, our joint venture in Australia, that's Keolis Downer. And that, of course, comes with it uh, an oversight of the business, making sure that we are hitting the the targets and the expectations of our clients, as well as growing the business, because we want to grow in Australia and New Zealand. The second part is an oversight for our activities, which is an automated metro in Hyderabad in India. And then the third part is, uh, again, oversight of our activities in Doha, which is in Qatar, Uh, also automated metro and uh, light rail. Very good. To put it in common parlance, you're the top boss of all... So I've already interviewed a bunch of guys from uh, Keolis Downer. You're the top boss? Well, I oversee... (laughs) I do oversee, yeah, what we do, basically what we do in Qatar, what we do in India and what we do in Australia and New Zealand. That's great. So what do you do? Tell us about what you guys do in Let's Go Into the Australia. Oh, New sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely, because it's, it's very good. You know, a lot of people, Paul, say, oh, you must be the tram company, right? Everyone's heard of Yarra Trams in Melbourne, and right. I'm not surprised because it's a fantastic network. Yeah. It's awesome, it's iconic, Nikolai it's beautiful, great, yeah. yeah, and, you know, people who are in transport know about it. People who've been to Melbourne know about it. But we do a lot more than trams. We also do bus, of course, as well in Australia, where we operate in uh, a number of the states as well. We also do multimodal. So the first multimodal network in Australia is the one that's in Newcastle, which means we're operating the light rail, recently launched, the bus, and also the ferry network as well. Wow. And bringing that all together so the passenger gets one seamless journey, which is great, which is really great. I think in the future, we're going to also expand ourselves in Australia. That's our, that's our hopes and ambition. And also for New Zealand as well, where we'd, we'd like to operate. But 
importantly to know that, uh, so in the background of those credentials, uh, for Keolis is what I can then talk about in Hyderabad and also in Doha, which is that we are essentially, as Keolis, uh, we are the, the largest, the world's leader in automated metro operations, 240 kilometers, to be statistically correct. And everyone likes to talk about size. And it's, that's the biggest in the world wow. in terms of the combined kilometers we operate. So metro in Hyderabad is a wonderful metro. It's been open now for 18 months. It's the second largest metro in India. So it comes after Delhi. And Hyderabad is a beautiful city. It's a high, it's a very high-tech orientated city uh, with a lot of investment coming in from the blue chip companies. Uh, as you can imagine with that, there's been quite a bit of congestion. And now they have this wonderful metro that's a backbone to the city, which means it connects in with great last mile connectivity into the bus, into, into Uber, into Kareem, into the services there. And we're the op we're very proud to be the operator and the maintainer of the metro there. So to No drivers though? This one, it has a train operator. Okay. So in tech speak, it's GOA2. But in Qatar, which brings me on to Qatar, no drivers. That's a, what in tech speak is a GOA4 grade of an automated operation. Okay. GOA4, which means there's no drivers. Um, the thing, it absolutely runs itself. Do you um, have people like safety drivers on it or attendants or you, anything? You, you don't need them, actually. Okay. And, wow. and so, no, we don't. No, we don't. I mean, you could, we, we know exactly where every train is at all times. We can see inside the train with the CCTV from our control center. We can talk to the train from our control center, both literally, mm -hmm. and make announcements, etc. Uh, and of course, passengers can talk back to us as well, to the control okay. center, but we can talk to it technologically as yes. well, and, and yeah. of course, divert it and so on. So, and I must say it's- I was uh, gonna say, what's he say exciting. back, but I'm not- <laughs> Yeah, no, they're very friendly, our yeah. trains, yeah. <laughs> they're very, very friendly. And look, that's uh, that's brand new. That's brand yeah. new. That, that was launched on the 8th of May. So wow. it is, it's fantastic. It's, it's not only getting ready for the World Cup, but I think Qatar itself is going to be uh, you know, a country that people will want to visit in its own right. I've been lucky enough to go there. I don't know if you've seen, they've opened up a wonderful museum of Qatar that's only been open for the last two months. It's absolutely wow. excellent. I've had the privilege to be able to go and visit the museum. There's also the Museum of Islamic Arts. So, you know, not that I'm working also for the Qatar Tourist Board, I say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really, a, again, a, a great transport solution that is part yeah. of, a, you know, a network as well. You know, it's mm. funny, you talk about that, one of my theories is that, uh, you know, so I'm from America and there's not enough, in my opinion, federal investment in these big infrastructure projects in America. And uh, I was in Australia recently where there, you know, $50 million of, uh, $50 billion of new investment coming in rail and you're talking about these other countries. And it makes me think back, to be honest with you, to Napoleon and how in Paris, because you had like a dictator who had the power of the purse, he was able to do these massive projects, you know, the sewage and, the, and you know, the trains and all that stuff. And what does it take in your opinion, because I know you work a lot with the stakeholders, mm. to kind of get the investment that's required to really create world-class infrastructure? You know, it's a good question, and I was only speaking to colleagues from Australian government about it here at the UITP, but I think it takes basically really clear decision-making and then sticking by that and gumption for it because, you know, there's a lot of pressure and influence when it comes to, you know, elected government that you're thinking about, what are you going to do? What can you achieve in your term of government? You're only judged on that. And when you've got a project that, in fact, it's going to be disruption for the first four years before it actually, you know, right, basically right. it's like... Tearing the, everything up. Yeah, he, yeah, the chrysalis opens and out comes a beautiful butterfly and, you know, right. we all jump on board and and everybody wants it and everybody wants an extension of it. But until that happens, you know, it's difficult. You're, make, you're making huge investment, you're creating jobs, that's great, but you are disrupting people. 
your voters. So to have that decision-making and to have that longevity of thought, I think is absolutely key. And then, of course, behind that, have a very, very clear, good transport plan, which is is absolutely essential. Yes. It's interesting that... um, for example, in Qatar, I think one of the things that they've really been thinking about is the growth for the whole of the country. So, yes, of course, there is a major event that's going to happen in 2022. It's the World Cup. But behind that also, though, when you think about it, when you think about how they've extended the airport, how they're now making it a hub, a transport hub, uh, it's also going to be a business hub. You know, they're attracting investment. So, you know, what I love about transport and what I love about working in transport, apart from the people who, you know, switch me on every single day, it's fantastic, but is also because you are not just making making a movement of people and giving them fluidity from, from mobility. You're actually changing people's lives, you're changing cities, you know, it's all, uh, it's a whole, if you like, if you look at it from a holistic point of view, I think that's where good decisions come about. That's yeah, good, yeah. So I was an elected official in in Maryland, uh, county commissioner, and it seems like a lot of times governments are run based on anecdotes and stories. So the local couple residents tell an elected official, you know, well, the bus wasn't running on time this, you know, this week, and my my grandmom had to wait for the, you know, and so then that becomes the narrative. Mm. So as a provider of service across the world, how do you combat the, the narratives with data and make yes. sure that our elected yep. officials understand that... Uh, like, I just talked to a guy that was running a transit system in Switzerland, and he didn't want to say on the stage what his on-time performance was because he was embarrassed about it. But it's 98% on time. He's running a, a bus service. You'd I'm like, dude, you that. should have said that. Be, Nobody yeah. does that in America. And he's that. like, but in Switzerland, you know, I'll get beat up for the 2%. And yeah. So yeah. how do you make sure that the data is driving the decision-making? Well, fortunately today, data is available for us, you know. So yeah. we, we have got the technology to know exactly, as I say, where our trains are, but also where our buses are. So everything's available real time. You can collate that. And of course, there are very clear KPIs in terms of um, what your on-time performance is, you know, how you're investing, etc. So um, so for us, we, we're very open. We're an open book. You know, we make that available. PTA can have a look, you know, it's a, we have the, the public measures that are available to the customer. Right. Um, and, you know, what you're really trying to do is make sure you understand what's happening behind anything. So maybe I can take a couple of examples, but I take Melbourne as an example today. Okay. A lot of investment going on, this big tunnelling project going on for for the project, obviously, of the um, for the rail. That's doing a couple of things. First of all, it is disrupting, you know, what's happening with road traffic. Our trams run on the roads, you know, they run with the cars. And the other thing that it's doing is it's giving us a lot of extra passengers which is great because people are right. coming from the rail or the bus and onto yes. the tram. But that, of course, impacts on our performance. And we need to do a couple of things. One, we need to we need to have the foresight to know that's going to happen yes. so that we can build that into our timetabling and yes. our regime so that we that's can right. minimise the impact of that. But secondly, we need the government, they need to know that. Yes. Because actually, when people understand, again, it's about the greater good, the holistic picture, I think they're a little bit more forgiving. You know, they're a little bit that's more, right. you know, they appreciate yes. that this is why it's happening and what's happening and what's being done about it. So. Yeah, it's a classic tug of war between productivity, passengers per hour, and yeah. on-time performance. Yeah. And a lot of folks don't understand that when you pull on one yeah. and you add more passengers per hour, your OTP almost automatically goes down. Yeah. People need to understand that because you're putting, you're jamming putting more, more people pressure. on the vehicle. Well, yeah. you know, I love moment as we do, you know, it does rain quite a lot there. And on days when it's raining, our OTP is affected. 
Why? Because the dwell time for the tram is extended because people need to bring down their umbrellas, uh, shake yeah. it off, and get inside the tram, right? Yeah, so that little bit and that at every stop. That tiny bit extra has a knock on effect That's on our performance, though, you know? Yeah. So, again, you've got to try and then solve the problems. Now, yeah. I think we've got 2,700 stops there. So, you can't put a shelter at every single stop no. cost effectively. Right. And, and in fact, practically, you can't either because many of them just doesn't work in the streetscape. But you're trying to think of, right, okay, you know, educate the passenger, make sure they know that, again, real-time information, they know the tram's coming, they can feel secure to put down their umbrella just just 10 seconds earlier. Makes a difference to us, yeah. So talk to us about the importance of that kind of information in the hand of the customer, the customer-centric nature of providing accessible transport. Yeah, look, I think it's absolutely essential, you know. People, not only is there an expectation for it, but I think that it's, it's a logical thing to be able to provide the customer so they can make correct decisions, you know. Um, one of the things that's quite interesting is, again, we, we've we for some time, and we've known that our customers are all individuals. While we're providing mass transit in a lot of cities, we try to respond to the customer as an individual because they've got individual mm, that's needs. That's good, right? yeah. And, and that individual, so I'll just take myself as an example, will be different on different days. On the days where I'm just maybe commuting in and out, I know my journey inside out, I just want watch what's happening to that particular train or that tram or that window of time that I, I know that I'm going to be travelling in that day. But let's imagine that my, my dear mum's come to visit, you know, and I'm going to go out and do something interesting with her. And, and frankly, rather than the 20-minute walk that I enjoy to the station, that doesn't suit her. We're better off getting a, a bus and then connecting. So I want a different journey. So we try to make our information so that people can literally att- make it individualised to themselves, depending on what they're doing. I think these days, real time is absolutely vital. I don't know about you, but I mean, I travel a fair bit for the work that I do. And uh, when I go through an airport now, I rarely speak to anybody. Not on purpose because I'm, you know, I'm right. a friendly person. Now. Yeah. But I don't need to speak to somebody because I've got all the technology on my phone to, you know, my passport is automatic through the gates. My uh, boarding pass is now on my watch, but it's also on my phone. You know, I don't need to engage with anybody. Interesting, yeah. And when all of that goes down, you, you feel very frustrated. Yes. So what we feel is, though, you need both. You need to be able to have everything in an automated way. I'm regularly traveling, but you also need to be able to have that human connect as well and that people connect. So for us, it's just making sure we get that balance right. And we want the feedback from passengers as well. It's not just a one way. You know, right. We want their feedback, which can come through Twitter, you know, um, and all the other means that people still ring us, which is yes. great. You know, people email us, which is great because that's how we'll understand, you know, the, the passengers' needs on a real-time basis. Yeah. Let's take that another step and talk about how Keolis Downer is working with social media and connecting with the passengers. Uh, how are you all doing that? Each of our businesses has got, you know, a way of... of their own sort of points of contact, if you like, because a, okay. a lot of the requests are, are local. You know, you, you maybe you've got a little bit of lost property. Uh, maybe you specifically want to know about what's happening with the bus line or you've heard this or heard that. So you may be Twitter with that. Yes. Yeah, so maybe Facebook tweeting, with something else. Exactly, or, exactly, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, we've got our own website, which, um, you know, has it cor- more corporate information, can I say, about Keolis Downer. We've also they've got the local websites. That's important too for recruitment, which yes. is a really key thing. Uh, you know, we've been looking at trying to look at different ways of recruiting and in the last, it's been a program actually we've been running for some time, Driven Women in Yarra Trams, which is to try and improve and increase the number of uh, females that we've got working with us and overall diversity in the business. Yes. So again, using the social media to try and do things a little bit differently, thinking about and 
you know, we we recognise that uh, with the shift work it can be it can be difficult, but it could also be an advantage as well. So just trying to reach people in different ways, both customers and our own employees as well. We've just released in Yarra Trams uh, an employee if you like an app, uh, which okay. it literally is an app for, for employees, to be able to access a whole amount of information about the business, but simple stuff that they might want to be able to get hold of straight away as well. They, of course, they're out in the field. These guys, you know, they're not they're not a desk-bound right. job. You know, right. 90% of our workforce is out. Uh, they can be working through the night. They can be working very early hours in the morning, and they can't always reach the person they want to reach. So we're trying to get that information available to everyone. So for me, the whole digital—if I'm, look, I'm old enough—I think I can call it a revolution. Yeah, yeah. But the digital revolution is just—it's a great opportunity. But what we've got to make sure is that we don't leave anyone behind. You know, we just yes. don't leave anyone behind. Mm. Let's talk about your approach with management. I've, one of the things I've been impressed with at Keolis, in particular, as a private provider of transportation and mobility is your visualization rooms. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, Nicholas showed me that in uh, at, at Yara Trams, yeah, but I've right. seen it in, you know, a dozen other Keolis operations. Absolutely. Talk to us about that and the importance of holding not just the agency or the, or the operation, but even the individual employees accountable yep. by the numbers and by key performance indicators. Yeah, now all of our major networks do have the visualization room. And it's great because it's a great place to actually ha run your business from. You know, you yes. can have your meetings there. So tell, for our audience, kind of explain what uh, it is. Let me yeah. explain, yeah, so perhaps we could picture it. So essentially, any room will work, but a room with as, as much as possible that you've got walls rather yeah, than windows. Four walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. More walls than windows. Um, and then you've essentially, you've got... Uh, a board, which is your overall performance as an organization. And then we tend to break it down on what we call Keolife. So Keolife is the structure behind Keolis and the way that we operate, which has got uh, a foundation of safety, and then it's got the pillars of the organization, and then it's got the customers at the top. So we've got operations, maintenance, our financial performance, and our customer experience. And then the, for the customer and then the client above. So if you like, it's a house. Yes. And we structure it that way. We structure it that way for a couple of reasons. One is that's what we do and it, everything will fit within that. And the second reason we structure it that way is that then as you, as you move from business to business, you can actually make good comparisons and benchmarks because we want to be able to benchmark the different businesses yes. we operate. Yes, So when you walk into the room, you will see around the wall, and I'm, I'm, you won't see yes, me. Yeah. Paul, Paul can see it, but yes. you guys can't, I'm afraid, on the podcast. But you will see a number of boards up, and those boards will have monthly performance results, and those boards will also have... Uh, the weekly performance results. So they're updated on a very frequent basis. They'll also have what are the key issues going on in that so week and that month. So talk to us about what kind of KPIs are measured on, on the... You know, sure, not, yeah, sure. Just the standard ones that everybody's looking at. Yes, yeah, so of course we've got our performance KPIs, our operational performance KPIs, which is depending on the, the what the client right, the is, is actually yeah. measuring. So we, we okay. always, we may have some of our own additional ones as well, but which we share with the client, but we always also mirror what they have as well. That's good. And so you'll have the the performance KPIs, you'll then have the, the maintenance KPIs, it's clearly so like driving miles, performance. Miles, mean distance between failures, exactly. those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. exactly, the meeting exams, etc. And, and then we'll have the safety ones, which we, we look at the TRIFA, which is the total Recordable Injury Frequency Rate. Okay. And the LTIFR, which is the Lost Time Injury Frequency Rate. Okay. We'll also have key measures for that business. It could be red signal breaches in the, in the case of a tram. In the case, we also, of course, know in, in terms of the number of collisions that we've had and so forth. 
we want to know too. So we've got the operational health and safety, but we're also looking at the environment as well, security and any security breaches as well. So the safety is very important. As I say, that's the foundation. And then you've got the operational performance alongside the maintenance, alongside people as well. Okay. We, that's really important. You know, yeah. have we got the right number of people in the organisation? Right. Are we retaining our people well? Have we done the right training? The targets that we want to achieve for training. These are usually all those are measurements targets. that are up on the wall. All those are yes. there up on the wall. Absenteeism. You know, are we, yes. are we making sure that it's easy for employees to come to work and that they, you know, they want to? And employee satisfaction, which of course we're measuring regularly. Oh, that's great. And then we have got the customer as well. So what happens for the customer? In particular, of course, they're impacted by the performance. Of course, safety is an underlying and necessary. But we've also got what's the customer satisfaction, whether we've managed to make the right levels of investment that we plan to and so forth. So when you walk around the room um, and we have the financial results, which naturally right. the shareholders would expect, uh, yes. but, but I think so do our clients, actually. The PTAs expect that. They want sustainable businesses operating that are able to invest and that, you know, you get a very different mindset when you're a sustainable business, I think, yes. than when you're in any other place. And that's our view. So we have our financial results as well, but you can imagine that that's the, you know, the simple income um, and where we are in terms of EBIT, et cetera. And then when you walk around the room, so you'll get a picture of the business. But what we'll do is we use this for our, month, our weekly and our monthly meetings. So I love this. I mean, frankly, I think we all know nowadays that sitting down for long periods of time isn't very healthy for yes, you. Yeah. So having your meeting standing up, which keeps it short and keeps it sharp, yep. the responsible director or manager will be in front of their board telling everybody else, telling the rest of the business what's going on right now on their results, but also what's their look forward. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And they will also look back star of the week, you know, or star of the month, so that we're recognising either individuals or departments who've excelled and achieved. Right. You know, it's a quick recognition, but it does mean that we, you know, everybody in the business knows what's been happening, how the business is performing, and what's going to happen in the future. I remember a few years back in my career, quite a few years back when I was in the UK in heavy rail running a, a train service, and I'd gone into head office. We'd had a really terrible morning peak. This is a commuter railway service. Morning peak matters. Yes. And unfortunately, we'd had a problem with our trains and the trains had all... Uh, we, we'd had to take out most of the trains out of service. Essentially, completely ruined the peak. We didn't have one. Poor passengers. Dreadful day. I walked into head office and people were like, oh, Lila, you look a little bit, you know, you, you look a bit stressed. You all right? Something wrong? You're a bit stressed. And I thought, crikey, this was a centralised head <laughs> office. None of you folks have a clue yeah. that... One-fifth of the service that we are operating hasn't operated. This is shocking. These guys could have been helping, you know, they yes. could be out supporting. Yes. At least a little bit of empathy, you know. And so, for me, the visualisation, as we say, where we can, it's real time, but it's really, really important so that the rest That's of business good, understands what's going on. Yeah. I found that, I was CEO at, at the MTA in Baltimore, and one of the, we had a, a building that was all our administrative staff. Right. And so there's 500 people in this building. Yes. And they hardly ever get out into the operations. They didn't have a clue. They'd never even been on a bus. So we started a new program where new employees spent one day of their orientation visiting our light rail system, visiting the subway system, visiting the bus maintenance garage. So they at least had one day in their career yeah. where they saw what the heck they were actually working well, on. Exactly. In finance, procurement, legal, and all those places. Because so. it all matters, you know? Yeah. And, and, and in fact, the, the support that comes behind it is what, you know, it keeps it's like the oil in the engine, isn't it, as we can yes. say, yeah? So I mean, it must have changed them completely. They it must did. have been like, they wow. They loved it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then we moved our management meetings around 
from building to building, so we didn't always hold our meetings in the corporate headquarters, so mm. to speak. I like that about your operations. Several of them I've been to, you're not separating the administrative staff from no, in a different exactly. building no, no. from your operations no, people. So they're meeting the true. dispatchers and drivers every exactly. day. Exactly. So our control room is inside our hub, which is where all of all of our administration staff are in Melbourne. It's absolutely the same in all of our bus. So, you know, they're at the bus depot. It's the same in Hyderabad. They're at the depot. They're working in the OCC building, the control centre yes. building. Yeah. And this is exactly the same in um, in Doha. And I think that's it. We want people, you know... Well, you, you, I think when you meet people in transport, you get this passion, you know. Yes. And, and, and I see that in people who, they, they realise, yeah, what they're part of is huge. It's absolutely huge. So, uh, yes, getting people, getting all of our employees to understand. And what we do in Hyderabad, when we've been launching, it's a very, very popular thing. People want to come and see what is it. What is this thing that's been built around me in this city? Yeah. And so we've had huge ridership at the launch and what we call joyriders because they're coming to, you know, they, of course they want to test this system out. They're yeah. quite right to. And all of the administration staff have all been out always. When we have a big event like a, an Indian cricket match, Match, uh, league match, out they go to help with the crowd management and so on. And I just love that. There's such a willingness in a sense to do it, which is, you know, it's part of the culture and DNA of being in Keolis, I think, yeah. 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 What's next for, uh, do you think, transportation in general? I mean, we see a move across the world toward new mobility and yep. microtransit and all that, but what I see in, in big cities is a move to strengthen the rail network uh, because sure. that's really what mass transit is about. So talk about that bifurcation of the industry where part of it is all this mass transit, yep. but yet we're also trying to do the last mile solution and help yes. you know an individual out yeah. on one route. Can yeah. you talk and about that, Sam? we're getting into on-demand zone. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. I think you're right, and I think that's it. It's a bit. It's it's a tailored approach now, isn't it? So mass transit isn't getting... I don't believe it's going to go away for some time. Right. You know, um, I think that technology has helped a lot. People are more adaptable. There's working from home. So, but you've still got mass transit. You've still got people. They want mobility now. Yes. You know, it's, um, I, I like to see, and I think we are getting there, of a, a much greener culture across the globe, I think mm -hmm. globally. And therefore people are thinking, can I do without at least a second car? Can I actually not use my car? You know, car-free days are now something very common in main, major cities. And people, people love it when it happens. Yes. Absolutely love it. So mass transit, I think that will continue to be the backbone. But now what we're doing is getting much, much smarter about how do we close out that last mile. There's so many more options. We run uh, quite a number of on-demand trials in New South Wales, and they've been so successful. The most successful, I think, probably would be fair to say, one in the Northern Beaches, which is running from Sydney around the east coast, of course, Sydney on the coast, so uh, in the northern part of the east coast of Sydney. And uh, it's on-demand means that people... How does that can, work? They, yeah, they, they, they can literally call up when they want the, the it's a bus or a car okay. which will come and get them collect them it may pick up a couple of other people on the way and then it takes them to their destination and that's getting people to a, then to a mass, mass transit so it's closing that gap and getting people onto the mass transit interesting and that that means that people really can leave their car behind you right. know, they genuinely can because people will walk to a certain amount but not beyond that it's interesting I mean there's a, a big discussion and debate happening at the moment walking or flying you know what's going to be next and uh, <laughs> just seeing that Melbourne has been chosen by Uber actually for the potential in 2022-23 for the um for uh, if you like an on-demand flying service, very interesting. interesting it's definitely yeah. in the future. Who knows exactly how that will evolve? But one of the challenges facing Melbourne at the moment and facing the PTV and government in Melbourne is capacity on the pavements. How mm. fascinating is that? You know, it wasn't something we really not necessarily thought about. But people are again, you know, using the public transport. Therefore, they're closing their last mile by walking, and that's another sort of future challenge that is coming. 
Um, so it, to me, yeah, it's absolutely that combination. But um, mass transit, I, I genuinely think that it will will continue. I know that mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that people will, will sort of stop travelling. Fascinated to see where the Hyperloop will go. You know? Yes. Isn't that Let's talk about that thing? for a minute. Yeah. What, we, we don't operate well, obviously. I understand but, that, yeah. yeah. So you've got, uh, you've got you know, Virgin, uh, Richard Branson's, uh, what used to be Hyperloop One, now it's yeah. called Virgin Hyperloop, and then you've got Elon Musk's original Hyperloop, and they're actually working over like in Dubai and places like that exactly. as well as everything. Exactly, year. they've been looking at it's, Dubai, Abu Dhabi connection. Yeah. So it's and, yeah. more of an intercity thing, right? Yes. Is what yes. I'm seeing. It's not Connecting like in... Connecting two, two major City. So, yeah. so you know that yeah, and, and whether that whether that however that comes about one day, if that happens, could be quite incredible. But you know, Abu Dhabi Dubai is a good example. It's an incredibly intense road network for and it's peak one way one and one way the other. Okay, yeah. So yeah. in fact the capacity is built. It's not a it's not a flexible highway. You can't you know, some highways you can have it so that it's a full eight lanes, but it might be three five and then five three, depending right. on the you flow of them. traffic. Yeah. It's not that case, it's a fixed highway. Okay. So, as you can imagine, then to continue to increase that infrastructure, yeah, you're going to with car, 16 lanes. Yeah, it's just going to, yeah, it goes a bit crazy. The hyperloop would change, the, well, of course, the journey time, but also the travel. And another fascinating path when you start to look at paths of how people are travelling. Well, Melbourne Sydney is the uh, most populated air route in globally, as I understand it. At least I hope I've got my facts yeah, right. Yeah, somebody there. told me that there's a there's a, uh, a Virgin Airlines flight every 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes yeah. in the peak, exactly. And then you've got another company going. So how as long well. would that Qantas, be in, with a Hyperloop? I mean, well, that's right. 15 minutes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think the distance is something like 550k. So yes, you've got a, a mountain range. I appreciate that, but right. there's something called tunneling that could you know yeah. could solve that. Yeah, you know? it's so, been done before. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> So, you know, I, I mean, I'm... I'm excited about it, too. Most people aren't, but yeah, I'm glad to see you are. Certainly, yeah. you know, can it be in my generation? You know, can it be in my generation? Is it in the generation sort of one one step from right, me, yeah. if you like, younger than me? The 20-year-olds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the one generation younger than us. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah so, so, so there could be some massive change out there. There could be. I mean, let's not, you know, let's not underestimate. I mean, I think I, can't, I can remember having conversations saying, oh, my goodness, can you imagine a time when your mobile phone is a video as well? Well, and you know you're speaking right. to somebody at work, and you you, yeah, know, you don't necessarily want to be. Well, that's. It's normal today, isn't That's it? That's right. We just Skype and Science time fiction like is becoming more science and exactly. less fiction, isn't so it? So I think, you know, don't, let's not be scathing. Of course, there'll be investment behind it. Some will come off, some will not. But right. things are going to change for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, public transportation, in my opinion, is changing more now with technology than almost any other field other than medicine. With yes. the, you know, what you were yes, talking about earlier, the AVL enough. has really yeah. made a difference. Yeah. It's made it more personalized for people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that public transport used to be really quite behind, and this is maybe speaking of my UK experience, because be a little bit slow and a little bit behind in technology. But frankly, that's changed now. It's like woken up. We're really, really investing, hugely investing Keolis on the technology side, on the digital side. We have our own digital lab, et cetera. Uh, and we, I know we're not alone. Don't get me wrong. Yes. I know we're not alone. But it's definitely, I think that the operator and also uh, government has worked, you know, I wouldn't say woken up, wrong words perhaps, but has recognised that there's some real investment opportunity to come from this, you know. So, yep. yeah, very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Well, wow, so. this is, you've given us a lot to think about. <laughs> no, it's been great. a great interview. A pleasure. Thank real you, pleasure. yeah. We wish you much continued success as you continue your career and as you continue you. to meet the mobility needs all over the world. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank been great to talk to you. Cheers. Thanks. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.